Welcome to Sex and Happiness with Lori Handlers. Amazing sex and intimacy are just around the corner. While Lori puts the finishing touches on her new book, Sex and Happiness Over 60, please enjoy this show. It's one of her favorites from the Sex and Happiness Archives. Today, I have a wonderful guest who I would say adds a lot of sex and happiness to the world. He's added sex and happiness to my life, and I'm hoping that he'll add sex and happiness to your life. So today, Charlie and I are going to be talking about somatic sexual healing and sexual embodiment. Charlie, welcome to Sex and Happiness. Thank you, Lori. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you, and it's really great to have you since I saw you recently. You were in Phoenix, and so I knew right away we had to do another show together. Yeah, thank you. That was a real treat. Let's talk first, if you would, uh, define somatic sexual healing for me, would you? When I started as a sex educator uh, over 20 years ago, I mostly focused on talk-based work. It was workshops, and it was writing, and it was more talk-oriented. And one of the things that I discovered over time is that there's a limit to how far talking can take you. Uh, in in the same way that you know I could talk with you about how to cook a delicious meal, but eventually we're going to hit a point where you have to start learning how to do it in real life. Uh, so somatic sexual healing is a lot like that. It's working with people uh, to help them discover uh, the embodied experience of stating their boundaries, asking for what they want, what does pleasure feel like, how do they know what feels good to them. Um, and these might sound like really simple questions, but I've found that a lot of my clients, uh, for example, have difficulty staying present during sex. You know, Maybe they tune out, uh, they go so deeply into a fantasy that they're lost in the movie in their head, and so they're not really present. Um, or maybe they are experiencing something that doesn't feel as good to them as it might. And rather than speaking up and telling their partner, hey, could you do that a little differently? They just endure and hope that things will get better. And so somatic sexual uh, healing and somatic sex education uh, is giving people the embodied experience to help them learn how to overcome all of these challenges. Um, so it might be something as simple as, teaching somebody different ways that they can ask for what they want. Uh, or it might be uh, guiding somebody through an erotic state uh, so that they can actually stay present and centered and grounded during it rather than uh, going into that movie in, in their heads. Okay, that's great. I, I like that. I mean, I like what you're saying. And I, I, first of all, I couldn't agree with you more. Talking about things is just talk. <laughs> yeah, you know, in high school we had an expression. You know, the UN had a had a branch of the UN called NATO, and I don't even know what NATO in the UN stood for, but we used to call NATO no action, talk only. Mm. And it's so boring because most people talk and talk and talk, and then they don't actually live and live and live. So the distinction you just made helps me feel like you're guiding people in the living of their life, in the feeling of their life, in the experience, in the body of their life, not just talking about what it would be like if. 
Exactly. And and it doesn't necessarily mean that people have to have full on erotic experiences with me. Um, that, you know, for example, one of the things that I've done with some of my clients, I was working with a male female couple, helping them find better ways to communicate around touch and boundaries. And the problem they were having, this is a very common situation. Uh, the woman in this particular relationship had a lot of difficulty saying when she wanted something to be different. She expected her boyfriend to just magically know through her body language that it wasn't working for her because she had never had the experience of trying out different ways of saying it. And so we actually got to practice it and he would touch her arm and she practiced saying to him a little softer, a little firmer, no, I don't like that. Try doing it this way. Uh, and that's the foundation to be able to say to a partner, oh, I really like it when you go down on me, but when you suck too hard on my clitoris, it's actually painful. So could you do that a little softer? That's right? a very so, good example. I mean, that's just as, that's as straight as example as, as yeah, you could get. And, and, and that happens a lot. That really happens a lot. Uh, it's easy to say to people, uh, you, oh, you have to talk with your partner about it. But that's like saying, oh, well, you have to go to yoga class and, and do a little stretching. Right? It works much better when you can guide somebody through the process. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. So you make people be really – so there is talk involved. Of course there's talk. There's got to be communication. It's all communication. But wishful thinking that a person's going to read our body language – whether we're male or female is not communicating because that's a totally that's that's open to interpretation on the part of the of the person who's giving exactly and then and, the, and then the receiver interprets it also as oh this person really doesn't love me they're not doing what i want right because we have this myth that when we love someone they magically know what kind of sex we like that would be like saying oh well if my boyfriend if my wife really loved me they would know exactly what kind of chinese food i want them to order right when we're getting chinese takeout so but there, but there is this myth. And so a lot of the somatic sex education that I do is helping people actually find those skills. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a reason why, uh, when people are learning to become pilots, they get put in a flight simulator. And when people are learning how to be chefs, they take classes in a real kitchen. Uh, the, because we learn best when we are in a similar frame of mind as the experience that we're going to be doing. It's why when people are learning first aid skills, they don't give them 20 minutes to put on a Band-Aid and take it nice and slow and easy and think about it. You actually want the paramedic in training to be stressed out while they're learning because that's going to simulate the real-life experience. It doesn't do you any good to learn how to do things when you're calm and then when you're in a real-life stressful situation, all of that goes out the window. So my, my job as a somatic sex educator is to help people learn the skills uh, in a way that, that simulates the real-life experience as much as possible so that they can actually use those skills in real life. Well, this is great. I, there's a, I, have, this, I have to – a question pops in because I'm trying to picture it, and I think it also relates to sexual embodiment, which is are the people actually having sex – 
with you present when you're teaching them also how to speak about it? Or is it a conversation? This is my where my mind's going. Or is it a conversation where you meet with one partner and you say, well, what is it that your partner does or doesn't do well in sex that you were wishing he or she would do different? And then you meet with the other partner and find it out. And then you have the conversation with them. Or are you actually in there observing that the person's holding their breath and they're going, you know, and they're doing, you know, how, how is it that you, that you coach them? Yeah. So people aren't having sex while I'm guiding them through it. Uh, although there are some somatic sex educators who do that work. That's not what I'm drawn towards doing. Okay. Um, you know, there's exercises and practices that we can do that are fully clothed. Like I mentioned, the touching on the arm. Um, but I'm also a trained sexological body worker. Um, sexological body work is a training that was developed by Joseph Kramer a while back in San Francisco. And in sexological body work, we do hands-on uh, erotic work. There is genital touch depending on what the client needs. Um, and there's different ways that we can do that. For example, there's a, there's a modality that we sometimes do called pleasure mapping, which is uh, erotic massage. It's all hands. I stay fully clothed and all touch is one way and I'm wearing gloves. So there's a very clear boundary and container for this work. Um, but with pleasure mapping, it's amazing how many people don't know how to describe what kinds of sexual stimulation feel good to them. So what? Do you, so you're wearing gloves, you have a boundary, and you're mapping with people on what it is they're considering possibly for the first time knowing what gives them pleasure. That's my picture. Well, the, the thing that often happens for people is uh, – they know when something feels good, but they don't know what their partner is doing. And so what I mean by that is there's a really big difference between saying to a partner, you know, do that thing you did that time. You remember we went to that romantic bed and breakfast right? and and saying to them, I like it when you do little circles on my clitoris with your fingertip or I really like it when you do a twisting motion on the head of my cock with your hand. Um, and so in pleasure mapping, the goal is not to have an orgasm. If orgasm happens, that's totally fine. But the goal is to actually learn what feels good and what doesn't for this particular person because we're all different. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'm able to put into words what someone likes so that then they can turn around and tell a partner. Uh, and so some of the things you know, somebody might discover or we might discover in this work – oh, I really like firm circles on my G-spot, or I really like having my labia massaged. Um, I really like light touch on, my, on the head of my penis, but I like really firm squeeze on the testicles. Uh, so and, you really put the language, you really, and, but when, when I, so I get that part, that's the person who's receiving, mm -hmm. actually having a conversation about, I like this, I like this, but, they might not know what the person is doing. This requires a conversation when the person's doing the thing that says, wait, stop, what are you doing now? Exactly. Exactly. Right. And the, the value in pleasure mapping is that it, it's, there's two pieces. One is that, okay, now 
this person has learned what works for them today. But our sexuality is always changing. There are things that you'll like when you're 50 that you didn't like when you were 15. Um, that's just how bodies work. That's so correct. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, the challenge then is actually learning the skills to be able to say, okay, well, that thing that used to be my favorite doesn't really work anymore. So let's play around and experiment and find something new. So this is the alternative to saying, honey, you don't turn me on anymore. I want a divorce. Right. <laughs> right. That, that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> yeah, not, not getting the sex that feels good to your body is not inherently a sign that the relationship is bad. It just means that something isn't working sexually. If you can talk about it and you can find something that works better, then that's a completely different situation. So what I love about this conversation is that it brings hope to people who feel hopeless because people have been so suppressed in their sexual expression altogether. And then in the talking about sexual expression, it's like a twofold thing here. And then it's a threefold thing because it actually involves touch then saying, okay, this is good. This works. No, that's not so good. That doesn't work. This is, you know, it's opening up an arena, which we, you'd think, you know, human beings have been on the planet for thousands of years and you'd think that they'd be able to talk about this and actually have the communications and then, you know, go to work on it. And so many people are so shy and suppressed and have been taught to not talk about it. Oh, it's hard. It's really hard. And there's shame and there's triggers and there's trauma and assault and there's people taking it personally. Um, you know, this is one of those things, uh, you know, people used to joke back before everybody had GPS in their phones. You know, we used to joke about how many guys would rather be lost than stop and ask for directions. Because, Correct. Right. But, but the same thing happens in bed. A lot of people, but particularly men, take it really personally if a partner says, oh, I need you to do something different because, you know, a lot of guys get very ego driven around this idea that, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm a good lover. And so having somebody tell them, hey, could you do this a little differently can actually be quite challenging. So it's not just teaching people how to give that feedback. It's also teaching people how to receive that feedback. Yes. And I can see that this is such an important skill. I can feel the line of demarcation in my body and, and I can also know about it. Until I started to take Tantra and study it, which started a little over 20 years ago, like I wasn't, a I loved sex, but I wasn't able to talk about it. And if I had a partner who just wasn't naturally good to my standards, I just never saw that person again instead of having the conversation. You know, I was really attracted to you and then like you kind of sucked in bed. You know? so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, those are skills that most people can learn. Now, whether, you know, whether it's your job to teach them that, you know, that's up to you to decide because that's going to depend on your relationship to them. But, um, you know, I think at least knowing that you have the choice of teaching somebody those things, even in a, even in a one night stand, you know, being able to say to a partner, you know, that's a little too hard. Can you do that softer? Or that's a little too soft. Can you do that harder? Right. Right. Well, you might, look, if you're, if you're, 
if you committed yourself already to the one night stand, you might as well get pleasure from it. That's the way I look at it. You yeah, know. exactly. Exactly. The other thing I really like about what you mentioned, Joseph Kramer's work and his work with Annie Sprinkle is in lingam massage and yoni massage, which I do quite often. And I, I do classes in it, especially when I take people away to hedonism. And, and, uh, I just recently did it at desire resort in, in Cancun. I love that they took the time to name all the strokes something that has some fun in it. Yes. So I could say to someone, and I think before we started the interview, I told you I just recently was with a partner who had never experienced anal. And first I did Joseph Kramer's lingam massage. Mm -hmm. And so I would say to him, now I'm doing this. Is it good like this or do you want it harder or softer or slower or faster and then he would say oh that's so good like you know no one's ever touched me like that and so so here's a way that people could do something similar at home actually can i if i can sure sure go ahead which is uh you mentioned joseph kramer's lingam massage video uh you can find his videos at eroticmassage.com uh, it's a subscription site, but you know you can. I, I also really like Jaya's Red Hot Touch videos, which are also available on that site. Um, and then what you can do is have an experiment session with your partner. And the goal is to learn information. The goal is not to have an orgasm. So, you know, if you try ten or fifteen different massage strokes, whether it's on their cock or their pussy, whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, and you discover two things that felt really good. Now you've got two new skills for the next time you're actually having sex. And the way that you can calibrate this is you're doing the technique and you ask your partner to rate it on a scale of one to 10. 10 is, oh, wow, that feels amazing. Don't ever stop. And one is let's put on Netflix. (laughs) And and it, it doesn't mean that a four is bad. (laughs) because sometimes you need something to cool down. Like, in fact, the best sex happens when we go from an eight to a three to a seven to a two to a nine to a five. It's the up and down. Just just like being on a roller coaster, it's sure. up and down rather than all up or all down. Sure, and it's, and it's also the element of surprise. Yeah, exactly. And not being able to anticipate, you know. Exactly. exactly. And, and the other thing, you just reminded me of something, which is, I always I I usually tell this to men that women like a lot of variety and just because something worked last time or the last five times doesn't mean that on the sixth time it's going to work. Like women get bored a lot; they like change. I don't know if men feel the same way, but I I, I I've talked to a lot of women about changing things up and the element of surprise. So I like what you're saying about one to five to seven to two. Yeah. To, I mean, that's so cool because it changes everything. Well, and it is tricky because, you know, there are women who get, who want that variety. And there's women who want exactly the one thing that always works for them. And there's women who want uh, to change it up because they get overstimulated. And there's women who, if you change it up, they get super frustrated. And so my job as a somatic sex educator is to help someone figure out what their pattern is in their body. And it's not good or bad. It's just what is. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people like spicy food. Some people like milder food. Some people want to eat the same meal, you know, four times a week. Other people need a lot more variety than that. 
That's great. Um, and so if you can tell a partner, this is my pattern, then you can work with it. But you have to identify the pattern. And so that's a lot of what I do as a, as a sex educator. Oh, now I want a session. We could do that. <laughs> I want to know my pattern. <laughs> that's great. So, Charlie, th- either the next time I'm in Seattle or the next time you're in Phoenix, I want a session. <laughs> I would love that. Book a session early and often. <laughs> so, anyway, oh, we, before we go into anal play, would you say what the website is again where people could find Joseph's Lingam Massage or uh, Jaya's Red Hot Touch Massage? What is that website? It is eroticmassage.com, and it's a subscription site, so you can you know, get a subscription for a month, for three months, work your way through the videos. Um, it's a really, it's an amazing resource and a really fun way to get some fun ideas for what you want to explore. Yeah, sounds terrific. And I have, I've, in, I've, I've interviewed both of them before on the show, definitely Joseph a uh, long while ago and Jaya about both of those subjects. So it just, you know, calls into memory that those people have been guests on my show before. And uh, it sounds like a great website to check out. So let's talk about anal play. First of all, you've written a book called The Ultimate Guide to Prostate Pleasure. So that's just right there saying, you know, you know something about anal I do. I know lots about anal play. (laughs) So most people have that. I'm going to say most. I'm going to, I I think that some people may fantasize about it. Some people might be turned on by the idea of it, but I think most people have a, you know, like a, Oh no, I'm not going there thing in their minds about that. I think they just, a lot of people will not allow themselves to have pleasure in their anus or around their anus. And it's, I think it's, you know, I think people who, who find pleasure there are in the minority. Am I, is that true? Well, it's hard to say, you know, there have been lots and lots of surveys and studies. Uh, I'm always skeptical about the research about how many people do any particular sexual act because, uh, you know, they're, people are often not as honest with researchers as they could be. I mean, that, that happens if you just did a survey asking people what their favorite soda is, some people would, would give you the wrong information because they would think that, you know, what information should I give this person? Oh, I see. Right. There's a, there's a, a it's a problem with sex research. Um, it does seem like with the increase of, uh, anal play in porn, more people are trying it than ever before because we're, we're more exposed to the idea of it. But it also means that a lot of people are doing it badly in part because what you see in porn is not how you should be doing it in real life. Okay. So that there's a big distinction right there. So can you say a little bit more about that? Like if you say, don't do it like that in real life, that means like jamming something into somebody's anus. I, I, I think. Right. 
Right. So, for example, that's one example. Um, you know, one of the things that you will not see in porn is any kind of warm up or preparation. It's not that it doesn't happen. They just do that before they get in front of the camera. You know, in the same way that, you know, if you're watching a football game, they might show you a clip of like five seconds of the athletes warming up. But they actually warm up for a lot longer than that before they get out onto the field. So, so, uh, so what you're saying, and I, I want to give this sort of factoid, Lawrence Lanoff was my guest a long time ago talking about porn, shooting porn, and he said that every porn scene, at least in, in, in a certain genre of pornography, could not last more than five minutes. So that's why we wouldn't see them. That's why I want to make this believable to my listeners. That's why we wouldn't see them putting on lubricant and warming a person up and getting them excited, et cetera, because that wouldn't fit into that five-minute window of opportunity that they have to shoot a porn scene in. Well, there's that. And uh, there's also the fact that things that look good on camera are not necessarily how it works in real life. As, as, as an example, uh, if you watch a cooking show, this is always my, my metaphor. If you watch a cooking show, the chef will say something like, have half a cup of chopped red onion, and it'll just magically be there on the counter because you don't want to sit there and watch somebody spend the next two minutes chopping an onion right? because you, you want to get to the, the good stuff. And the same thing happens in porn. They don't show you the warm-up because people get bored. Um, I, I always like to say that learning to have sex from porn is like learning to drive from watching a car chase movie. You know, somebody is going to get hurt. And, and I actually talk to people all the time who have gotten themselves into unpleasant or uncomfortable or painful situations because they were trying to copy what they saw in porn. Mm. Well, wow. uh, and, and, and that's a thing. That's a, that's a real thing. Um, but there are, you know, but coming back to your, your original question, you know, a lot of people have discovered the incredible erotic potential of anal play. Um, Jack Morin's book, Anal Pleasure and Health was the one that sort of broke the ground on that. Uh, and it's interesting because when we wrote, when my book partner and I, uh, wrote the book, one of the things we did was we surveyed men and we asked them, among other questions, you know, what were some of the things that kept you from trying this? You know, what were the things that held you back? And the three things that came up over and over again were, uh, is this going to hurt? Is this going to get messy? And is this going to make me gay? Uh, and uh, it's, I, I want to just point out two things here. One is that uh, the question of is this going to hurt and what about hygiene, you know, th those are technical issues, right? Those are how do I do this in a way that is safe? But I, I also noticed that those questions don't come up quite as much when we're talking about women on the receiving end. And I think part of that is that men have uh, a lot more concerns around self-image, around masculinity, around their own sense of who they are because we have this idea that uh, to be penetrated means to give up masculine status to lose you know to lose that that position or if i like it 
then it means something about me. Yeah, it means something about me. It means I'm gay. It means I, I like, I'm, this is something I don't know if I want to find out about myself. Yeah, so, so here's two things about that that I think are really relevant. Um, a while back, the Center for Sexual Health Promotion in Indiana University, they did a survey. They asked gay men, they asked over 2,000 gay men to talk about their most recent sexual experience. And it turned out that they were having anal sex about 37% of the time. Now, I'm willing to bet that probably 98, 99.9% of gay men have tried it because there's much more conversation about that in the gay community. But what this highlights is that being gay doesn't mean that you're having anal sex all the time because you know sometimes you're not in the mood for it or it takes too long or you don't want to do that with this partner or or whatever it is mm-hmm. same um, thing as women who who are having different kinds of sex and not always having vaginal penetration yeah exactly although i'm willing to bet that for women for for heterosexual couples intercourse is probably more than 37 percent of the time mm. right but that's, the, too, the, that's that's unfortunate <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a whole nother conversation. But the, the other piece, though, that I think is really relevant here is that where your nerve endings are, that determines what kinds of sexual stimulation feel good to you. And that doesn't have anything to do with who you want to have sex with. Okay, say that again. Wait a minute. This sure. is good. Right. So what kind of things feel good to your body? That's because that's where your nerve endings are. Who you want to have sex with, that's your sexual orientation. And those are two different things. That's great. Um, so, so, for example, if a man and a woman are, you know, if she's wearing a strap-on dildo and he's receiving anal penetration, that is still heterosexual sex because it's a man and a woman. Mm-hmm. And he just happens to be liking... Or maybe not, but yeah, but that that's just what works for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 the flip side to this, of course, too, is that there's nothing wrong with being gay. So there's that's that's another piece that I think is also relevant. Um, but you know, the the fact is that the anus is full of exquisitely sensitive nerve endings. Uh, it, you know, for many people, it likes lots of different kinds of touch. And in my world, anal sex is not anal intercourse. Um, anal sex is any anal erotic contact. So tickling around the outside while you're giving your boyfriend a blowjob, that counts as anal sex. A- anal intercourse is a subset of that. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says to me, oh, I really like anal sex... I still don't know exactly what they mean. Right, right. I understand because there's so many different things that can happen, so many different things that can be done, and there's so much different stimulation. So, And also there's a whole spot inside the anus that's kind of like the G-spot. There yeah. is like the men's G-spot. I hate calling it G-spot, but I also don't like calling it sacred spot. I don't know. There's a spot in there for men that is the equivalent of what it's like to to touch a woman in that place that that's different from touching the clitoris it's inside the vagina hidden away and it's yeah. called the g spot or the sacred spot men have that right it's the prostate pardon it's the prostate 
the prostate. And, and, and some people call it the P spot and some people call it the male G spot. I just call it the prostate and leave it at that. But okay. that's me. <laughs> all but women also have a spot inside them that is that significantly can touch their G spot from a different angle. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, a lot of women who I've talked with have said that they really enjoy G-spot stimulation through anal penetration. And a couple of women I've talked to have said that they prefer it just because of the angle. In fact, one friend of mine um, told me that uh, she has better orgasms through anal intercourse than vaginal intercourse just because of the angle that she's at. Mm-hmm. Right, and and that's just the way her body is shaped. That's I'm not saying that that's going to work for everybody. But it get, here's what it does: it opens up a conversation that has more possibility in it than people just saying, "Oh, anal. Oh, I love anal sex," and we don't know what we're talking about or what they're talking about. Yeah, just knowing that there's all these options, you could. What you said, tickling around the opening or having penetration with a dildo or having penetration like intercourse from a different angle or whatever. Like you're just opening up all these possibilities that I imagine many of my listeners have not even considered. And that's what's so important about this conversation. Exactly. Exactly. And and the fact is, you know, some people only enjoy anal stimulation when it's a side dish, right? Like I really like anal play when I'm also using a vibrator on my clitoris or when I'm also having my, getting a blowjob, whatever it is. And and that's another thing that you won't see in most porn because most porn anal sex is all about anal intercourse and there's nothing else going on. Um, You know, and if, if for you, anal play is a side dish and you're trying to make it a main course, you're not going to be satisfied with that. Well, this is great, Charlie. We don't, we're kind of out of time. We don't have time to explore it even more. Although I do, you know, I just want to take a couple minutes to talk about the other two concerns. One concern is, is it going to hurt? And the other one, is it going to get messy? Like I don't feel we can leave this conversation without saying something about those two concerns. Okay, great. Well, the, the is this going to hurt? Anal plane never has to hurt. Um, if you're having discomfort, if you're having pain, it means that something needs to change, whether that means you need more lube, you need a different position, you want to use a vibrator to increase the erotic sensation. Uh, if it's hurting, you're doing something wrong. And the difficulties that a, a lot of guys in particular, when they're on the giving side of anal play, they think they're going slow enough because they've slowed down from a 10 to a 7, but I really want you slow down to a 3. Mm-hmm. Um, That's and, really important. And and it makes a big difference to have your partner as turned on as they would like to be, because the more aroused we get, the more pleasurable it feels. So if you or your partner are having pain during anal play, uh, you need to change something, whether you, know, you need to do something differently. Don't endure, because if you endure, it's going to hurt worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as far as the hygiene issue, obviously, we do need to be a little bit more careful with hygiene for anal play. Um, but it's really easy to do. 
uh, you know, put a towel down on the bed so that you don't have to worry about you know, lube getting on the sheets. Uh, put on a pair of gloves. My favorite brand is Black Dragon. Uh, they're made for tattoo artists, so they're thinner material than medical gloves. Uh, and then you don't have to worry about getting bacteria places you don't want it to get. You don't go from anal play to vaginal play without washing up first. These are not difficult things. Um, and you can get lots of tips for both of these concerns on the book's website, prostatepleasureguide.net. Um, that gives you an overview of it. And then, of course, the book goes into a lot more detail. Charlie, thank you so very much for talking about taboo <laughs> and for also talking about not taboo and making it so sensible. I mean, it's you clearly have a handle on how people need to communicate and about what and the kinds of things they need to say to each other. So I, I appreciate you so much for that. I, I think it's, it's so needed and so necessary. Well, thank you, Lori. And it is always a pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to the next time either you know, over the phone or in person. Mm-hmm.